Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm Nick Jaworski. This is the podcast, the premier podcast for all executives, owners, directors, anyone involved in addiction, treatment, or behavioral health looking to stay on top of trends in the field. We talk to experts on various topics from marketing to mergers and acquisitions to operations, admissions, clinical excellence, billing. Today we are with Andrew Martin. He's the chief operating officer of Andrew. I know you guys just changed your name, so you just want to give me the, the proper name so make sure I don't mix it up real quick. We are the Behavioral Health Association of Providers, formerly known as American Addiction Treatment Association. But we uh, changed our name and our scope to broaden it a bit to the behavioral health world in general. Awesome. So for listeners out there, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, basically anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us. So we encourage you to reach out there. Um, so, Andrew, I thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you having um, having yourself on here. Can you tell us a little about you about you know who you are and where you're coming from? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be on the sh- on the show, Nick. Thank you very much for the invite. No problem. Uh, you know, my background's real diverse. Uh, some people call me the forest a Forrest Gump because I've done so many things, but for the last 14 years or so, I've been involved in behavioral health and primarily within the addiction treatment world. I had a uh, transitional sober living in an outpatient treatment center uh, that operated for about nine years uh, with 36 beds there. And I had a magazine called Serene Scene Magazine, which turned into Recovery Illustrated that we published. Also uh, was involved uh, with uh, Alan Berger in developing the Evolution of Addiction Treatment Conference, which very quickly became a premier conference within the world of addiction treatment. And um, and various other things. Locate uh, the locatetreatment.com directory of treatment services is mine, and uh, um, and amongst other things. But you know, I've been kind of uh, wrangled into this world of behavioral health and recovery uh, due to my personal experience with uh, losing my first wife to addiction. She overdosed mm-hmm. and passed away, and that got mm-hmm. me into my own recovery at that time. So I have a passion around this and and really a personal mission, Nick. And it, it's all about, for me, getting more people into appropriate treatment and improving treatment outcomes. That's so awesome. uh, BHAP uh, is a great way for us to do that because it's all about providers and education and lifting up the uh, the quality of treatment and improving those treatment outcomes. So it's a perfect fit for me. I love it. I mean, I think all of us or almost all of us involved in the field have a personal passion. We all have personal stories. And, you know, unfortunately, the reality is almost everyone has some kind of personal connection to addiction, even if it's not themselves. It's a loved one or a neighbor. Um, so, yeah. So, so, so happy to have you on. Uh, just to give listeners a little bit of background. You know, Andrew, you actually interviewed me <laughs> at the Axis Executive Conference, right? Um, for a little That's spot right. that you guys were doing for uh, the American Addiction Treatment Association was the name at the time. And so now I guess it's my chance to get to interview you, <laughs> which I appreciate. <laughs> That's great. Um, but what really attracted me to you, and I think what sparked our conversation is, you know, obviously I'm the owner of a digital marketing agency for addiction treatment, Circle Social. And we really got into the space because of ethical marketing, you know, and before it was like a buzzword in the field, <laughs> we were talking about ethical marketing. Um, and then I found that all of a sudden everybody is, and you see it on all these websites and stuff, right? Which is, is good. Um, but it was very clear that we had a need there. And so that really attracted me to what you guys were doing. So first, I actually just wanted to talk briefly about that. You actually are offering a certification for ethical marketing. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, uh, you're, you're referring to our CATM, which is a Certificate in Addiction Treatment Marketing. And, and what that is, is a, it's really an effort put forth so the industry can self-regulate with regard to the addiction treatment market segment within behavioral health. And I see a real need for that. Yeah. And I'm sure you do, too, oh, being yeah. in the marketing space. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the vast majority of the people within um, our wonderful industry are passionate around helping individuals that are suffering from addiction. 
That's why I get into the business. That's why they develop awesome treatment programs, and they help a great number of people in doing that. And in the process of doing so, a lot of times, particularly smaller operators, do not become aware of all of the various facets of operating their business uh, in a legal and sometimes in an ethical manner. And over history within the addiction treatment marketplace, um, we have seen certain practices that have become commonplace amongst many providers and also many consultants within the industry. And those, just because a practice is commonplace doesn't mean that it's legal, and it certainly doesn't mean that it's ethical either. Right. So what can happen is people can get caught in a trap, so to speak, of doing what everybody else does and just making the assumption that it's okay because that's what everybody does. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes it's not okay. Yep. And, so, and, uh, um, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. So having the opportunity um, for individuals to get that kind of education, I think, is really paramount for the industry to self-regulate. Uh, you know, like I say, it's not – I don't consider this a matter of people doing things wrong because they want to just, uh, you know, just try to get as many people into their programs as they possibly can. I don't think it's that for the vast majority of individuals within the field. What I think is people are sometimes doing things wrong, not knowing that they're doing things wrong. So the answer to that is to get them educated and to develop a network, a peer group, so that um, within this forum of individuals that are all kind of experts, they can share best practices and, um, and communicate about maybe challenges or dilemmas that they're having and improve uh, their services uh, and their offerings uh, to those people that are suffering from addiction so that they can then draw more people in. Absolutely. Uh, so we're not buying people to get them into the program. We're now attracting people into our program. Very different approach. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Uh, that, that's, what, that's what we've done here with the CATM. Um, you know, the Certificate in Addiction Treatment Marketing program is really involved. It, it's it's basically like taking a college-level course. It's 36 hours long, and it's six different courses. So, I mean, it's significant. The people that do this are really invested, right? Right. And they really want to, they really want to do the right thing. Now, um, on top of that, though, the benefits on the tail end are huge because, like I said, that they they get included in this. Um, in this club, so to speak, <laughs> of individuals that have all done it, and these are the you know these are the top people within the industry, the the, the real movers and shakers when it comes to addiction treatment marketing, and they're doing it the right way. So don't you can't tell me that you can't do it the right way and still keep your beds full because you can. Right. I see it. You can. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we we talked with uh, Kent Runyon from Novus Medical Detox, uh, you know, a couple episodes ago. And I mean, they're all cash pay, you know, some PPO, it's a detox. So every seven days they're you know, running through basically their entire census and they basically keep themselves full through community involvement, relationship building, referrals, you know, and, and strong ethical marketing practices. They don't even do a lot of digital marketing or um, even billboards or anything like that, uh, because when you do it right, it works, right? Yes. Yes, that's one side of the equation. So, uh, so I'm glad you talked. You asked me about this, uh, the marketing certification, and and like I said, it's one side of the coin. But we got to flip that coin over as well. And the other side is, you know, it's one thing for the industry to uh, self-regulate and to really um, become compliant with laws and regulations and also operate ethically. It's another thing to communicate that to the general public, those prospective oh, yeah. patients that are coming into the program. And that's something that we have to do, not on a case-by-case basis, but we have to do that one as a unified voice within the industry. We have to tell people, hey, we are uh, the addiction treatment industry, and we are doing these things to make sure that we're treating you and your loved ones properly when they contact us. 
Uh, that's a really difficult thing for us to do because our industry is fairly fragmented. Yes. And um, I really believe uh, wholeheartedly that we do need a unified voice. So I'm hoping that uh, BHAP will be able to contribute to that unified voice, at least for the providers within the industry. Uh, we also need a unified voice amongst those that are in recovery and uh, amongst those loved ones uh, who have people you know, within their families that are they're in recovery. And uh, I, I think that's best left to other organizations, not ours, that are doing an awesome job in that regard. Right. I completely agree. And I think that's something that is, is quite frankly lacking in the field is that unified voice. Um, often we, we see each other as competitors, which we really shouldn't. And that's becoming more so the case now that there is a serious level of competition, right? Before there was such a high volume of people that needed treatment and such a small number of centers that you could just throw up an AdWords campaign and you would have enough people come into your center um, just because that volume was enough to meet all the needs of all the providers that were out there. And that's no longer the case, right? And we have thousands right. of more providers across the country than there used to be. And you're not going to be able you know, bring in a small result from your AdWords flow, which only is going to have a 1% to 2% conversion rate anyway. You know, it, It's just not sustainable these days. Something else that I think is really important that you're bringing up is this idea of the kind of, I guess I would call it the branding, I guess I'm a marketing guy, but the reputation of the field. So when you look at Florida, like a lot of Florida centers are struggling right now and a lot of centers are closing down. And part of that's not just the competition, it's the reputation that Florida has, right? Because of yes. um, maybe a small number of operators, but you know, let's be honest and, and let's take accountability here. A large number of operators shrugged their shoulders, right? They said, oh, you know, other people are doing it. Maybe I'll do it too, or I'll just ignore or what they're doing and do what I'm doing over here. Well, that has had a tremendous impact, a very negative impact on people being willing to travel to Florida at all. They, they don't want to go there anymore because it has such a bad reputation. And we've seen that in dropping census. Um, I've got a couple of people that have actually purchased a new center down in Florida in the past um, three months and nine months are the two people that I know. And they are struggling really, really bad because they didn't realize just um, how bad the, the reputation of the industry as a whole had been affected by the negative yeah, process. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, I would agree with you. The, the um, you know, there we can't ignore the fact that there are some uh, what I would call bad providers out there. There are, but there are the the it's an absolute minority uh, within the treatment field. Mm. Uh, but what has happened is press has grabbed onto those stories and exaggerated those stories and given the impression to many that this is rampant within the industry. Yep. And what has happened is the industry has not stepped up and said, hold on a second. That's not the industry. That's a few bad players for crying out loud. Let me tell you what the industry does on a regular basis. The vast majority of, of us do this and that and this, and we are helping people and getting people well and uh, teaching them the tools that they need to stay in recovery. Let's do a new story about that, shall we? Mm-hmm. You know, but we haven't done that, have we? No. So, um, so Florida is suffering from that, um, as well as some other parts of the country. Uh, you know, here I'm in California. Um, here in California, we suffer from some of that. Um, Arizona has, Pennsylvania has, Illinois has. Right. So, um, it's a tough situation for us. Now, uh, that said, we also don't have a lot of friends in the press. No, uh, you know, unfortunately. It, you know, moment. what sells the papers, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the drama and the uh, scandal that people seem to want to read, or at least the, at least the writers seem to think that people want to read it. Yeah. And uh, we don't see a lot of feel-good stories or um, um, stories that promote the positive aspects of addiction treatment, which is unfortunate. Yep. But here again, uh, that means be back to the unified voice, because if we can if we can bring that positive voice to the industry, maybe we can get some press in that regard. I completely agree. Hopefully. And I even think from the marketing end that a lot of centers could take more of a leadership role. Right. And say, hey, we want to promote what we're doing here, not just to get admits, but to actually give us a positive image within the communities we operate in, within hopefully the U.S. as a whole. You know, if you're a bigger operator, have a bigger budget, because that's going to have a very, very positive impact long term. And yeah, maybe it's not going to get you admits you know, next week. 
Um, but at the end of the day, that's what people are looking for. They're looking for ethical providers that are focused on clinical excellence. And if you can move towards that and build that as a thought leadership, as an image and a reputation, that's a lot better than just kind of pushing out scare tactics, you know, or pushing out fluffy yeah. things like, you know, have a better life, which is unfortunately what a lot of centers are focusing on. Um, cause they're too focused on the short I totally game. agree. Yeah. You know, uh, by some estimates, uh, upwards of 45% of the population is directly impacted by somebody that has a substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a really large number. That's yeah. almost half the population. Right. Uh, so that means just about every other person you meet knows someone that has a substance use disorder, or maybe they have one themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> what that means is we have an obligation to get the right messaging out to them so that people go and seek treatment and seek help. Uh, And that means a reduction in stigma. That also means uh, an improvement in the way that we communicate how treatment centers work and help people overcome this terrible disease. Absolutely. Right. I mean, because I tell you, on the marketing end, you know, before we actually just got really focused on the addiction treatment space, you know, we ran marketing for various verticals, anywhere from e-commerce to behavioral health to local businesses. And a really good click-through rate is like 1%. Um, that's actually really good for a top of funnel campaign, but in addiction treatment, we can get six to 8% click through rates, top of funnel. And what that speaks to is the fact that it is impacting so many people, you know, which is, is unfortunate, but there's a large need and we need to fill it. Um, some, something I think I want to bring up before we move to the next question is the role that treatment providers can take in this space in terms of creating a positive image and, and actually working towards moving the public perception away from just kind of a profit motive with admissions. There's a lot of times when centers call us and they're looking for us to help them grow their centers, grow their business. The first thing they're asking is how fast can you get me admits, right? That's what they want to know. And obviously that's really important, but it's also almost the only question that they're asking. And that's a problem. And that's what has led to a lot of the negativity and the, the bad operators in the field because too many people are asking for admits and that's all they care about and they don't ask how they're getting them. And what's really important, especially with the Florida laws, is that you are now responsible for your vendors, right? So if you're working with a third party, whether it's a person or an agency and they're not operating in compliance with Florida law, you are directly responsible for that and you're legally liable. And it's really, really important for providers to understand that that they can't just say, hey, I need some admits. Can you help me? They say yes. And you don't care how you got them. You know, um, ignorance is no longer an excuse from a, a legal standpoint. And so you have to understand how they're operating, how those admits are coming in um, and making sure that your vendors are in legal compliance with all, all of the laws. So I definitely want to make sure that people are aware of that. When you reach out, make sure it's OK. Yeah, obviously, we're trying to get admits as a whole um, purpose to keep the business going, but also all these other aspects that me and Andrew were talking about that drive uh, reputation, that also make sure that we're ethical, we're legal, very, very important. So Andrew, for those of us obviously committed to doing the right thing, which is the majority of us, you know, what actions do you suggest that we take to make sure that that's happening? Uh, you know, I think, I think what we have to do is uh, we have to get educated on the laws and the regulations that are out there that pertain to the marketing of addiction treatment programs. Uh, most people are already familiarized with the laws and regulations as they pertain to the operation of the program and of the business. Um, but there's a whole set that goes along with marketing that addiction treatment program as well as ethical con- uh, content with regard to admissions and proper placement and, and length of stay and, and all of these things. So uh, first and foremost, Education. I mean, that's where it really starts, right? Now, if we can get if we can get uh, educated, then I think we can start to build a real solid set of best practices within the industry as a whole. Um, that would include practices in print and digital media, social media, content marketing, you know, all that stuff, just to name a few. But, you know, every kind of advertising um, mechanism we have, um, we can uh, better, uh, in a sense. And we can do that um, um, as an industry so that over time it will impact the impression that the general public has about the industry, and Mm -hmm. it will make it more positive, won't it? Yep. 
So um, staying engaged, uh, this is another point I think that we need to do. We need to stay engaged with what's going on around the country on a federal level, but also, and maybe more importantly, on a state level with uh, what's happening by the lawmakers and the legislators. They, I mean, I got to tell you, Nick, you, you should see some of the stuff I see. Some of the laws that they try to pass are are just insane. Huh. Um, some of them are flat out illegal and will, are, you know, they're unconstitutional and they'll never pass. But others um, are written in such a way where they could pass. And uh, a lot of these laws that are or these bills, I should say, that are being written um, have to do with uh, nimbyism, you know, not in my backyard, mm-hmm. and um, also have to do with significant restriction on how people can conduct business within the addiction treatment and behavioral health world, that one concerns me more than the nimbyism. And here's Mm -hmm. why I say that. There are many laws on the books um, that prevent, I'm using the wrong word, there are many laws on the books that prohibit restriction to um, people with disabilities. Yeah. And anyone with a diagnosis of a substance use disorder um, is considered, uh, you know, disabled. Right. So those laws will protect those individuals. Now, that said, that doesn't prevent a locality, a municipality, or a state from drafting a law um, which is in contradiction to the Federal Disabilities Act. Sure. If they do so and they pass that law, then the, the provider still has to fight them, right? So now you're fighting a government agency, right. and that will put you out of business right? because government agencies, um, they kind of have uh, darn near unlimited resources uh, you know, from a practical perspective when it comes to a legal battle. Yeah. And some provider that's got you know, uh, six or 12 or 24 beds someplace can't afford to dump you know, half a million dollars into fighting that battle. Yeah. So what we've got to do is prevent these laws from getting um, from from um, getting to the books to begin with. And how do we do that? Very easily. We have to stay informed about what's going on within our city, within our county, within our state, and also on the federal level. Everybody can do this. It's not magic uh, to stay informed on these things. Um, you just you, you can you can go to Google and you can find out who your representatives are and you can get on their mailing list and you yep. see what they're up to. Uh, but the other thing that that we've done um, at BHAP, just a little promotional plug here, is we have <laughs> set up these uh, these legislative alerts and advocacy alerts. It's free. People just come, they, they go to our website and they sign up for this thing. And you will automatically receive um, any notifications on proposed legislation. So this allows people to contact their representative before a bill is even drafted. They've just started to draft it, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And now the industry can have a voice. And frankly, the, the populace can have a voice in how that bill should be written. And a lot of times the lawmakers will get an education and they'll change their stance and they will modify the writing of that bill. Yeah, the voices and then are we so have important, these... aren't they? I mean, just get, oh. getting your, your voice out there because if you're not speaking, someone else is speaking for you, right? Yes, and most of the time the people that are speaking are the vocal minority. Yeah. So, uh, and that's the, way, uh, that's the way legislation is drafted in our world. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunate. Uh, that's not a government of the people. So uh, we have to be involved in our government today. Yeah. They don't reach out to us. We must reach out to them. Um, and, and then uh, we also have this legislative alert. And, and what that does is when a bill has been um, drafted and now it's going into committee or maybe it's even passed one of the legislative houses and it's going to the other, um, we let people know that that bill is being moved, that there's action on it. So this is kind of like, you know, uh, the last hour, so to speak, where you've got to get in there now before the thing is either passed or not passed um, so that you can get your voice heard and either support or oppose that measure. Um, 
that's equally as important as getting involved uh, in the advocacy of the of the writing of the bill to begin with. For sure. Um, all of these things can make a huge difference for us. Um, now, we've, we've seen, you mentioned Florida a lot of times, Nick, and we've seen how that uh, law um, is, has had a direct impact on the treatment community within Florida, but it will also have an indirect impact on many additional uh, industries and services within that state. Sure. Those lawmakers, when they drafted that, they did their darndest, they did their best to make it a bill that, that would be uh, that would address the problem that they had in Florida. They did. I believe that. They try their best. But they don't see the unintended consequences that follow on. Those only come out in the years after. And then the lawmakers' answer to that is to write more legislation, right? <laughs> right, right. Oh, well, we'll just add another law. We'll add another law. Well, right. pretty soon you've got a big mixed-up jumble of stuff and all these hoops you got to jump through and all these fees you have to pay. Sure. And if you're operating a recovery residence, can you afford to spend, you know, fifteen hundred, twenty-five hundred bucks a year on dues and fees and licenses and all of this stuff? No chance. Right. So, um, so that's what I mean. These unintended consequences can really impact us, and that's why our industry has to step up. So you ask me what actions? I say step up, become a part of the voice, speak up, get involved. That's probably the most important thing you can do. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, obviously, I'm involved with our legislators here on everything from, um, light, you know, not licensing, but uh, regulating marketing for addiction treatment, as well as the opioid crisis and addiction services. And, and they're responsive. They're open. You know, and what I really encourage providers to do all the time is to invite legislators into their centers so that they see what it's like. Because honestly, a lot of them do believe the media stories that it's just these shady operators that, you know, people living in cockroach infested recovery houses or they're given xboxes and allowed to do drugs and they're like that's that's the image some of them have had before they start getting into the centers and see oh wow a lot of these places are amazing you know they're clean they're helping people they're such an important part of their communities and so when you invite people in you have that opportunity to change the narrative um and also from the marketing perspective i can tell you that when we push that out as like a pr piece when you have a, a senator or another representative visit your center uh you get a lot of calls <laughs> so kind of a win-win yes. there yeah, it's a great thing to do is to invite your uh, invite in all of your your senator and your um, or your congressman. Yeah, uh, they will come. They'll show up, um, and they'll they'll want to see what it's all about. If you hit them at the right time, we're coming yes. up on that time, by the way. So you know, um, June, July, uh, it's a good time to invite people in. It is, and you know, why I always say is we got to capitalize on you know, opioids are not the. Um, they're in the news, right? And so that's important. And we can capitalize on that. So even though more people are still dying from alcohol and things like that, there's a lot of other addictions we need to be aware of. Um, when you look at news cycles and trends, like we do in the marketing space, when you jump on those, you get people involved. And politicians are, are always looking to get involved with something that is really important to their constituents. And right now, opioids are super important. So if you can connect with that, and then as you get deeper and build those relationships, start saying, hey, look, you know, alcohol is actually a really big issue too. Meth is coming back, all that kind of stuff. But you've got their ear, you know, so it's just a smart way to make it work. Well, so one of the things I want to look at is actually some specifics with you a little bit. So um, people are always surprised at some of the things, like you said, a lot of people aren't even aware of what's legal or not legal. And one of the things that I always bring up is purchasing plane tickets for tickets for people. Like a lot of centers are still doing this, and that's actually an illegal practice. You cannot induce people to come in for a healthcare issue, especially if they're receiving any kind of um, federal insurance provider, right? Um, which Blue Cross Blue yeah. Shield is uh, most of the time. So, can you tell me some other examples, maybe that you uh, have seen or that you guys teach in the course certification process there of? common things that centers are doing that they they shouldn't be sure. and aren't even aware of? Uh, you know, I think, um, yeah, if there's common things that treatment centers do that they're not aware of, um, probably the biggest one is hiring market com- marketing companies that are not operating in a legal or ethical fashion and yep. turning a blind eye yep. uh, to it because all they're interested in is filling beds. Um, that's a real big mistake, um, you know, in my mind. Uh, if if you do that, you're really kind of responsible for that because it is your contractor. You are hiring the company. Exactly. And while you may be able to put up an argument that you're at arm's length on this, um, you know what? It goes to your reputation. 
And um, if you're a facility that's going to hire somebody that's going to do unethical and illegal activities to bring people into your facility, uh, that's going to get around. Mm-hmm. And one thing I know for for darn sure is that if you have a bad reputation in this industry, people remember it for a long, long time. Oh, yeah. It takes decades to rebuild a reputation after a turnaround. And, uh, I mean, it, it takes longer to rebuild a reputation than it does to just start a new facility and build from a new. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> you don't want to get caught in that trap. Um, there's also a category of individuals, though, that, that I do want to address here, uh, which is the uh, treatment companies that um, intentionally uh, go out and, and do some illegal activities. And probably the number one uh, infraction there is spoofing. Uh, where people will build websites um, that will look like it's another treatment agency or mm-hmm. they'll build websites that look like they're impartial referral programs and things yeah. of that nature, but all of the numbers and all of the calls are going to one center, right. and it's theirs. And they have a call center set up and that kind of thing. Yep. Um, that's just that's flat-out illegal, and uh, there are federal laws that prevent that. But it still happens within the industry amongst a very few players. Unfortunately, the public doesn't know. Um, so, so they're trusting that they're calling this number and that they're being handled appropriately and um, they're getting the proper treatment that they need and whatnot. And what's really happening is they're just being placed in any of the treatment programs that, uh, that this facility operates without even uh, an assessment other than maybe verifying insurance coverage or something along those lines. Right. Uh, so that's unfortunate. So there's two but things. What you were asking about was yeah. Can I can I was, I want to jump in real quick and mention two sure, pieces sure. to that. So one, uh, a lot of treatment centers don't understand this, but unfortunately, because of those practices on the marketing end, you have to be quite defensive. Um, you have to manage your reputation. We have a client right now that is getting spammed with a ridiculous amount of negative SEO, which means that another provider is going in and sending them really bad links. So they get a Google penalty. And so they get forced down in the rankings. And so um, we actually have to monitor that on a daily basis and make sure that we're blocking all that spam coming in or sending disavow files to Google and all that kind of stuff. People will also steal your number. Like you're saying, they'll steal your, your content. They'll hijack your Google My Business number so that people think they're calling your center and they end up calling another center. So that has to be con- constantly monitored. Um, but it's really, really important and only in this industry, <laughs> like I've never seen another field where you have to actually play defense on the marketing and the SEO end. Um, so important for centers to understand that. And then something else I, I always like to bring up for these people that are doing that, you know, they're going to lose in the end. They might get a couple admits here or there, but marketing is not tactics, right? You know, that's maybe 20% of it. It's really brand and reputation at the end of the day. So you could take care and treatment centers, exact campaigns, you could copy them and just cut out their logo and put yours on it. You could send it to the same people, right? You could put it in the same spots. You're still not going to get the same kind of response that care and treatment centers gets because they win because of of their brand and their reputation. They don't win because of their tactics of what image they used or what Facebook targeting they're using. Um, So just really, really important for, I think, providers to understand that, that your reputation is the most critical piece to being successful uh, long-term in this industry. You're absolutely right, because we're not selling something for $9.99, and if you buy now, get one free. Right. That's that's not our model. Right, right. We're not commodity. (laughs) We're not fighting on price here. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, But you were talking about the things that uh, sometimes treatment agencies do that um, they're not really aware of that can be considered unethical or sometimes illegal. And uh, one of the things, I mean, you also me- you already mentioned inducement, and that's a common one. Uh, a mm-hmm. lot of times people don't recognize that that actually is an illegal practice. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, a whole series uh, of claims that many, many programs will make around their agency um, that can be considered fraudulent. Uh, for example, um, if your website lists um, your staff and, and amongst your staff you have a medical doctor and a psychiatrist and, and these kinds of people that are really not your staff. They are consultants to you mm. um, or independent contractors for you. Um, that's fraudulent, and uh, you have to be careful with those kinds of statements. Uh, also, a very common one is uh, 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 treatments. Maybe a treatment program is located in a beach city, 
and they advertise um, with images of the beach and the strand and, and uh, you know, people having fun playing volleyball and that kind of thing. But right. when you, you know, when a patient arrives, <laughs> yeah, they're really five miles from the beach yeah. and, you, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, you don't even, you don't even smell the salt air. <laughs> uh, now they bring you to the beach for, for outings, but you're not on the beach. Yeah. Um, that's fraudulent. And you really aren't able to do that uh, and get away with it very long. It speaks to your reputation as well. Um, and really, it's not a great idea yeah. uh, to do those kinds of things. Um, so those are two biggies, two common ones. Um, there's another that's a real trend at the moment, which are referral websites and call centers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of these that have sprung up uh, over the course of the last several years, uh, and they come in they come in two different shades. Uh, some of them are genuinely referral sites, and they do their best to educate people, to list programs that are available for services, and then they leave it up to the consumer to find out whether or not those services are appropriate for them. Sure. Those are the legit. Those are the legit referral websites. Uh, actually, they're not really referrals. They're directory websites, is what mm-hmm. they are, because um, they're not referring anybody. There are some referral sites that do have telephone numbers, and you call that number up, and they do genuinely offer an, a brief assessment and direction to the individual to appropriate treatment programs. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there are also referral websites uh, that uh, attract people in. You give them a call, you send them an email, and uh, they, they may even do a brief assessment. But their intention is to place that individual only amongst a few different treatment programs that are out there. And those treatment programs are normally paying for placement on a case-by-case basis. Well, that act of paying for placement um, or paying for placement um, within a group um, is flat-out illegal. You're not allowed to do it. And the reasoning behind that is obvious, but let's discuss it for a moment because maybe there's somebody out there that hasn't really thought it through. Uh, If you have somebody that gives you a call, they have a unique set of needs from the next person that gives you a call, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yep. So you have to place people in the appropriate treatment environment in order that they receive appropriate treatment and good outcomes. So you can't fit everybody into one or two or three or even half a dozen molds. There's a lot of different treatment specialities out there and a lot of different treatment modalities out there. The assessment is designed to fit the right person to the right specialty and modality. Exactly. Well, if you don't have the right specialty and modality in your Rolodex, then um, you can't possibly do an appropriate placement. So uh, that's the reason behind this kind of law uh, is, is to prevent misplacement of individuals. Yep. which can frankly lead to death sometimes. So it's pretty right. serious. Uh, so, um, so that's a biggie. A, a lot of, pe- a lot of, of programs, um, providers, uh, will seek out these types of call centers uh, to help fill their beds. And in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's doing business. It's trying to gain leads and whatnot. But you've got to make sure that it's being done properly. Right. Now, there's nothing that's illegal about paying a call center a fee um, so that um, you know, you'll receive uh, some referrals or what have you, but you're not paying on a placement basis. You can't do that. Right. Um, you can't pay, uh, pay per patient, so to speak. Um, that's called patient brokering, mm-hmm. and that's the word that people need to understand. Uh, so that's a biggie. Uh, another one uh, that I can can mention as well, and I'll leave it at this, is uh, you know placing people into a treatment facility without an assessment um, is also not okay. Um, you've got to assess individuals prior to admit. Um, if an assessment isn't done, there's no way for us to know or to prove that that placement is appropriate for that specialty and mm-hmm. modality. Right. So it's a component that's that's necessary, and that goes a little beyond marketing. I mean, that's that's more like okay, now we're starting to bring the patient into the program. Right. Um, but it kind of crosses over a little bit. Sure. 
Well, I think those are all excellent. And something I want to go back to maybe clarify for some of the listeners, because this is often a point of confusion for a lot of people. Uh, can you actually buy calls? You can. Absolutely. So it's okay. There's, there's still these um, places out there, you know, that sell calls. I mean, I'm not a big fan of them. It's pretty junk, right? Because they're just sending you people who don't know you. They're people in crisis and they're just, you know, looking to, to get some support. Um, so they're maybe not finding the right place, but you can do it legally. You just need to buy um, a certain volume, right? So you say, I'm going to buy 5,000 calls a month or 10,000 calls a month. <clears throat> you cannot pay for the leads. Like you said, you can't say, oh, I want to pay if they admit or I want to pay if they get on the line, like you can't do that. It's got to be okay. We'll do the calls. Um, other things for people to understand within the Florida market in particular is that you can absolutely work with third party agencies. Sometimes uh, people get confused like, oh, I can't work with a third party. Well, you can, but you can't be working with these third party referral sites that Andrew's talking about or these third party call centers unless they are actually licensed by um, the state of Florida. So they can actually get licensed and there's certain things that they have to do to be able to send you um, calls or, or referrals or things like that. But really the best way to do it all the time and the way that we always do it is everything should be run through your website. It should be run through your Facebook profiles, your social media profiles, and they should always be directed and connecting to your admissions team. The legal aspect that you have to really shy away from, not shy away from, you can't do it, it's illegal, um, is having it go to someone that doesn't actually work for your center, right? Or running them to a fake Facebook page that, you know, like Andrew said, it is showing to be something else. It's saying, oh, okay, you know, we are some addiction diary service or whatever, but it's actually filtering calls to your um, your center. You can't be doing that. So really important to understand those differences uh, and make sure that you are legally compliant in what you're doing. But you can absolutely work with third parties. They should just always be using uh, everything that's part of your center to do that. Other real quick things for Absolutely. people to remember, um, just little things that we see a lot of time. You can't copy images off of Google. Uh, people do that a lot. They're copyrighted. <laughs> you have to make your own or buy stock photos. Um, something really important is waivers. So obviously testimonials are fantastic. They're super valuable in marketing, whether it's a loved one or the actual alumni. Um, but you need a waiver, right? Because that's a HIPAA compliance issue. So they have to sign a waiver saying that, yes, it's okay for you um, to use their likeness and their quotes and things like that online. So be very, very careful there. And something, Andrew, I think your team mentioned it actually um, when I was sitting in on one of your presentations at the conference, but you can't just copy paste uh, testimonials from like Yelp or Google or Facebook. That's actually illegal. It's kind of a copyright issue, breaking the terms of service of those sites. You could use it. Yeah, it's a copyright issue. Uh, but what you, what you can do is uh, you can refer to them. Uh, or if you cite them, it's okay. But you can't just copy and paste them. Right. And you could also basically, you know, get permission again through a HIPAA compliant waiver saying, hey, could we use the same quote? And they give it to you. You just can't like screenshot that and put it on your, your website. <laughs> Right. That's right. Um, also, something that people are, are often surprised to learn, but you actually can't even technically you shouldn't have the logos of insurance providers on your site. Um, we regularly get uh, cease and desist letters from Blue Cross Blue Shield. They're, they have a lawyer. They, they hire full time. That's all he does is go around to treatment center websites and email them cease and desist letters saying, please pull down our logo from your site. Um, because we didn't license you to provide it. Again, their logos are copyrighted, right? So you can obviously say what insurances you're taking or that we're taking you know, many insurances, but you can't have the logos of other insurance providers on the site. Um, finally, Not without permission. Yeah, right? <laughs> finally, I would mention PHI, so personal health information. You cannot be sending that between your team in an unsecure format. So a lot of centers will email, you know, especially if they get a, an inquiry in, they'll say, hey, okay, John Smith is calling. He's got a Coke addiction um, and he needs some help. You can't send that through an electronic format unless it's double encrypted, which I can guarantee you almost most centers aren't. <laughs> so you can't yeah. email that information. You cannot text that information, right? A lot of our clients have group text set up for their admissions team. Um, you can't do that, you know, so you have to find ways and there's often ways that we help clients with it, but you have to find ways to communicate that information without connecting personal health information you know, identification information to uh, a medical problem or a mental health problem. So very, very important to understand there. Yes. 
Yeah, patients and residences, they all have a series of rights. Um, there's, uh, there's federal laws that dictate those rights. There's also state regulations that will change from state to state. And sometimes there's, there is um, you know, local laws uh, that also impact that. So you do have to be careful of that. Yeah. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I think the thing I'd, I'd like to try and finish up on is maybe what you're seeing in terms of marketing, uh, you know, in the next five to 10 years for the field. Where, where do you see things going, Andrew? Uh, you know, I think that there's, I think that the battle uh, between attracting leads and paying for leads and uh, and the digital landscape, I think uh, we're at kind of the beginning of that. I think it's going to get bigger and badder um, as we move along over the course of the next few years. Um, you know, it's the field's becoming more impacted, as you know. I mean, we already talked about that. There's a lot of providers out there. Um, now, that combined with the fact that many of the providers that are out there are no longer receiving the, um, the reimbursement that they used to uh, because managed health care is reducing their reimbursement rates. And in certain states, um, socialized health care is coming in and it's really reducing, um, the, the, you know, the, the normal reimbursement rates that many providers had received. Mm -hmm. um, as an example, in California, um, uh, we have a, a Medi-Cal system and we have drug Medi-Cal as a subset of that. And it's available okay. to anyone that doesn't have insurance. Well, that has... Uh, has been a wonderful thing for getting people into treatment, uh, but it has really severely impacted providers within the state and good providers within the state because um, it has virtually eliminated cash pays overnight. Hmm. Uh, so hmm. people that didn't have insurance before would have had to come up with the money for the, for the, for the treatment. Sure. Well, now if people don't have insurance, they get drug medical. So um, it has, uh, significantly uh, impacted the operations of programs. So I think we will find that over the course of the next five years or so, um, a great number of roll-ups of uh, providers going out of business, and um, we will find a small number of conglomerates uh, that uh, are going to get really big within yeah. the space. Yeah, there's definitely definitely a lot of mergers and acquisitions happening. And I think if you look at our first podcast episode, we, we spoke with uh, Stone Ridge Partners, and, and that was the topic of discussion if any listeners are interested in that trend. <laughs> so as this happens, though, you know, people get desperate. Um, if they're about to lose yep. or if it seems like they're going to lose their program, they get desperate for intakes, and yep. that's going to produce more of the illegal and unethical marketing tactics. Uh, like you were mentioning before, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. reputation kind of goes to the side. All we got to do is put food on the table today. I'm yeah. not worried about what's happening at the end of the year. Um, so um, I'm I'm concerned about how that will impact our industry, sure. and I think that's a, a reasonable concern. Um, it's going to make it harder for the ethical providers to compete um, as a result of that. Uh, but we have to find a way, and I think one of the best ways in order to do that is to um, have a, uh, you know, that unified voice that I keep harping on. Let's get the industry vocalizing um, what we need to be doing uh, in order to treat more patients in the proper fashion. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, the, the more we can uh, represent ourselves as an industry in a positive light, that that positive light will hopefully outshine <laughs> the darkness that the unethical operators bring Absolutely. to the industry. Yep. So, you know, that, that might be a little Pollyannish, but that is my hope. <laughs> well, you know, I, I jumping on that, I completely agree, but from a marketing standpoint, it works. Like I have the data, other agencies out there have the data centers, have the data, you know, you take Sierra Tucson, for example, they rebranded themselves, what, 2014, 2015, I think they completed it. But what they did is they focused completely on ethical, you know, patient-centered outreach, and they pulled back from AdWords, and they pulled back from these direct lead gen strategies. And what they saw over a two-year period was they saw a 24% increase in admissions, and they saw an 18% increase in alumni referring to them. 
And we see that as well. When we have centers that are willing to go the route where it says, okay, you know what? We obviously want to work on the short term and get the calls coming in and get the inquiries coming in, right? But also we want to focus on the long term where we're worried about actually having an impact on the field, connecting with our alumni, having really regular, strong, valuable communication with our professional referral sources, and having a presence in targeted demographics or targeted geographic areas, you see consistently their admissions go up. You know, when you look at it from like an AdWords standpoint, those are people who don't know you, right? They're just coming in and they're clicking and they're in a moment of crisis. That's a very, very small percentage of the people that need help. There's all these people, actually a far, far larger number of people that need help, but need help making that decision process because there's such a lack of trust in the field. And if you can build trust with those people before they've come to a crisis, when they do come to a crisis, they will call you or ideally you're getting connected with them and helping them make a decision that's right for them or their loved one before it's come to a crisis point. So you're actually helping people, you know, farther back before the addiction gets to such a, a horrible place that, you know, so many of them get to. Um, it's just really, uh, you know, I, I love that you bring that up because there is so much value, not just from helping people in that term, but also from a business standpoint and your bottom line. If you do it right, if you focus on your reputation and you do it very strategically, you will see a positive impact at the bottom line. Absolutely. Well said. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to add in? Or if not, do you just want to give us a best way to contact you or get involved in the certification program or anything else? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, well, the, the easiest way to contact me uh, or anybody within BHAP is to go to the website, which is uh, bhap.us. And that stands for Behavioral Health Association of Providers. Uh, we're a provider membership organization. And um, please go on there. It, actually, May, because um, this is, I think this is published in May, um, May is our uh, membership madness month. And what we're doing in May is we're giving away uh, memberships for the advocacy alert and the legislative alert that I spoke about earlier. Um, oh. People can just sign up there and they get it for free. So uh, what a easy way to stay in touch with what's going on uh, within your state and within the federal government as it pertains to behavioral health issues. And um, we also have uh, an education, that, that the CATM that we talked about earlier, the Addiction Treatment Marketing. Um, if people um, are registering in the month of May for an organizational membership or even an individual membership, um, you can get the first course in that for free. Oh, wow. So um, I, I know it's kind of crazy, but that's why we call it made <laughs> membership madness. Sure. So, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we're giving that one away. So uh, if anybody's interested in checking that out, by all means, sign up for that as well. Well, perfect. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate it. And for all our listeners, I highly encourage you signing up for that certification or checking out the Behavioral Health Association for Providers website. Again, I, I went through a couple of the courses at the last conference that we were at together, and they were they were great. They were incredibly valuable. Uh, and, and, you know, I own a marketing company in the space. And so I know for a lot of providers that maybe aren't as familiar with it, like I can tell you, you're going to learn a ton. So definitely go check that out. Again, thank you so much for joining thank you very us today. Much, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. I'm so glad that you were able to share all this information because I think it's so important. And you know, I think as, as we've covered, um, not everyone's quite as familiar with it. You know, they're focused on managing their center and they're not, on, you know, don't have always have the time to stay up to date with all the changing laws and everything like that. So, listeners, thank you so much again. This was the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm Nick Jaworski, owner of Circle Social. We do digital marketing and operational consulting for treatment centers across the U.S. and the U.K. Please reach out to us on our website at circlesocialinc.com or just tune into the podcast. We have new podcasts coming up about every two weeks, and you can find them on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Intunes, or wherever you like to enjoy uh, your podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a great day.